Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning. Good morning. Come on in. Uh, if you're still filtering in, filter in quicker. And um, uh, grab a Bible if you don't have one. There should be one in the seat in front of you if you don't have one. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home. That's a gift to you uh, from Jacobswell Church. Um, we're going to be in John 13 today. <clears throat> My name's Jonathan. I'm the associate pastor here, if I didn't say that earlier. And I get the privilege to preach today. Uh, we're going to be uh, in John 13. We're, we're sort of picking up in, in the middle of, of a, a statement, a series of statements that Jesus is making. Um, he's just washed the feet of the disciples, and um, he's about to make this great new commandment. You know, a new commandment I give you, but there's this scene in between before he does that um, here in, in John's gospel that we're going to pay attention to. This morning, so we're going to be beginning in uh, verse 18. Um, there's all of the uh, page numbers: 900 red Bible, large print blue Bible, there children's Bible. We do have children's Bibles back there on those shelves too. Um, so grab a children's Bible if uh, if you'd like one, kiddos. Um, let's look to John 13 here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pardon my voice. It's a little weak this morning. Um, so let's hear God's word. This is God's word. It's in verse 18 of John 13. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Literally, I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table and at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he, that is Jesus, when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that 
because Jesus, Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we, we humbly come before you and your word today. We know that you have the words of eternal life and that we need life. And so we pray, by your spirit, be gracious to us. Give us understanding. Grant that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray, amen. I'll never forget the time I learned that bagels and boats don't go together. It was the year BC. Now, this, that's before children. <laughs> I don't remember the actual year because in my, in my life, in my memories, any time before children has basically become one year. It's all kind of a blur. <laughs> so it's the year BC. Uh, my brother, one of my brother, I have four brothers. One of my brothers was getting married in Southern Florida. And so we all went down to Southern Florida And an attempt to enjoy all that South Florida has to offer, we did all kinds of fun activities. We swam, we did sand volleyball. At one point, uh, the swimming pool at the house where we were staying, the the ball went into the intercoastal waterway, the volleyball, we had like a swimming pool volleyball net. And for some reason, I thought it'd be a great idea to jump into the intercoastal waterway to get it. Have you guys ever seen an intercoastal waterway? Gross, let's just say gross. A few weeks, this is a side note, a few weeks later, I got, a, I got like a major infection in my foot from doing that. Anyway, we also went deep sea fishing. We went deep sea fishing. My brother said, let's go deep sea fishing. And it was 10 in the morning. And someone had the great idea to bring loads and loads of bagels. I don't know why, 10 in the morning, I guess, deep sea fishing. So we had bagels coming out of our ears, cream cheese, and deep sea fishing. Now, I'm not a deep sea fisherman. I don't know that I've ever been on the high seas before, and I was hungry. So before we even get out of the intercoastal waterway, I've eaten like, I don't know, 10 bagels. And then we get out, and we start rocking, and rocking up and down and over, and the, the captain's going, let's, let's go over to this spot. And we're going up and down and all over the place. Let's, let's catch, oh, and before I knew it, I was sick. One of my other brothers was sick, and we were just over the side, and apparently they caught a fish, and they tried to get us to buy it to stuff it, but I don't know what happened. I don't think I realized how much a little boat could rock and pitch in the waves like that. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever felt like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind? You ever felt like that? Several years ago, I went through a particularly difficult season of life. I've shared some of this with you before. Our three-year-old son unexpectedly died. It was very sudden. And in the year following his death, I experienced uh, quite a few difficulties, let's say. I, I experienced betrayal at the hands of some friends. Some of it, albeit, was unintentional. 
I began to doubt my calling, began to doubt God's purposes for me in my life, and we experienced incredible loss. We lost our son. I ended up uh, losing my job I, voluntarily. We lost the home where we had made so many memories with, with our son and, and our other boys. And we lost friends because we ended up moving. I was confronted with the most fundamental question. Do I believe that God's in control or not? Do I believe that God is good or not? In many ways, I didn't. In the face of betrayal, in the face of difficulty, I found myself struggling with anxiety, unrest, depression, despair. I was impatient with others, quick to anger. You can ask my wife. I had an attitude of defeat, hopelessness, helplessness. I was, I was kind of like the one James talks about in James 1. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. How about you? Have you ever, ever experienced an event, a circumstance, or maybe a relationship that has made you feel driven and tossed by the wind? Have you ever been on the receiving end of, of hurt and loss, betrayal, brokenness? Have you ever been in a storm that caused you to question, is God really good? Is he in control? Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you know someone who's in one. See, as we continue in, in John's gospel, we've come to this turning point. It's, it's the point of no return, really. We've come to this point where in just a few short hours, the faith and the fortitude of Jesus and the disciples is going to be put to the test. In just a little while, Jesus will be betrayed. He will suffer torture and ridicule. And he will be killed on a cross. Now before these events take place, the Gospel of John, John gives us this eyewitness accounts in these next four chapters of some of the most wonderful and assuring words of life from Jesus. And before we get to that, that wonderful part that, I mean, you could read chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 every day and find encouragement. And before we get there, we have this story. This story that we have here. There is this movie that uh, my family and I watched when I was growing up. It was called Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Anyone ever watch this? It wasn't that great. Kevin Costner. I don't know how Kevin Costner passes a British guy playing Robin Hood, but anyway. I always remember we watched this, and we had it on VHS, and we watched it over and over and over and over again. And the same thing happened every time we watched it. I was tuned in in the very middle, or the very beginning, like, oh, this is great, all this action. And then the next thing I knew, I'd wake up at the end when they're, like, storming the castle. I have no idea what happened in the middle. Apparently, it was a love story. I just thought, boring, I'm sleeping, which is what happened. I bring this up because it might be tempting to jump over these verses to go from the foot washing scene, which is amazing and beautiful, straight to a new commandment I give you and to jump right over this part. But it's important that we don't. John actually spends more time on this scene than the other three gospel writers, two to four times longer. And Matthew, Matthew spends six verses, Mark spends, spends five verses, Luke, it's sort of like a passing three verse and also, you know, Jesus said he's going to be betrayed. But John spends 13 verses talking about this, this particular scene. And I want to pause here and, and, and point out a, a nugget here for us. And this is your first fill in the blank, so get ready. The nugget is this. All of God's word is given for our good. 
all of it is given for our good. All of it is given for our good. Are you getting the picture? Every single portion of this word is given for our good. That's why we preach expositionally here at Jacob's Well. Because we believe that even the hard stuff, the stuff that's hard to preach on, the stuff that is even confusing, we believe that God has given it to us for our good. And there's verses that we can go to. I'll just say 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And he lists a whole bunch of things what it's good for. John 10, Jesus says scripture cannot be broken. So all of it's for our good. So let's, let's take a moment. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of recap the story. And then we're going to look at um, a statement worth understanding. And then we're going to look at uh, a savior worth trusting. So let's, let's just look at this story. The story worth noticing here. First, there's this troubled announcement. Jesus makes this troubled announcement and he says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen. So this is when he's washed their feet and uh, he's talking about greater, you know, the, the, the servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, verse 17, blessed are you if you do them. And then he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So he's quoting Psalm 41 to show how scripture is about to be fulfilled in his betrayal. He says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place so that you may believe that I am he. And then it says in verse 21, after he said these things, he was troubled. This literally, he was stirred up. He was agitated. And then he makes this declaration, I say one of you will betray me. The word betray literally means give or hand over or deliver over. Now notice a couple points here. And we're going we're gonna to kind of walk through the story a couple times. So this is the first time. Imagine this is like the bird's eye view for a second. Notice, notice something here. Jesus, or excuse me, John points out Jesus' humanity. He points out that Jesus was troubled. Let's not overlook that. In the, in the midst of, of thinking about his betrayal, his suffering, and his death, Jesus is troubled. He's human, fully human. We're going to come back to that. Notice something else that I think we sort of hear Jesus do this, and we just sort of like, yep. He's predicting the future, and he does it accurately. He's accurately predicting the future. This is a big deal that Jesus can do this. Can you predict the future? I can't. Jesus is predicting the future. So he makes this troubled announcement. His humanity is shown, and we see that he can predict the future. Let's keep going for a sec. Let's see. Secondly, there's this perplexed bunch of guys. 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain, literally perplexed or at a loss. I mean, they just cannot believe. What do you mean, one of us? One of us? It's, it's interesting, in all the other accounts, um, actually, it's just in Matthew and Mark's account, the, the disciples start going around the room saying, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Am I going to do this? And here, John, he, he points out almost like this side conversation, okay? And he says this. Uh, it says that one of his disciples, verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, this is John's way of referring to himself. Hey, Jesus loved me. <laughs> One of those disciples that Jesus, I don't, it, it wasn't to be arrogant. This was his way of being humble, actually. And he says, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, John, was reclining at table. So the table was low. So try to get the picture in your mind. Low table. 
They're sitting down. They have their, 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 their legs kicked out to the right. They're leaning on their left elbow like this. John is sitting just to the right of Jesus. So he's, that's why in some versions it says his head was on Jesus' like chest on his breast because he's literally laying on him. And so Simon Peter, who I guess wasn't sitting near Jesus or maybe didn't have the courage to ask Jesus, says, hey, John, ask Jesus who it's going to be. Now, what's interesting about this is none of the disciples right away say, no way, Jesus, we can't betray you. It's not possible, which is, which is fascinating because when Jesus tells Peter in just a little while that you're going to deny me, in Mark 14, Peter emphatically rejects it. He's like, there's no way I'm going to deny you. But here he doesn't. There's no denial of the fact that one of them might betray Jesus. They're not, they're not saying, no way, we couldn't do it. So there's, there's a sense here in which maybe, okay. What I think's happening is that they're wondering if they're somehow unintentionally going to betray Jesus. I think there's an honest wonder, of, maybe I could do this. and I don't know that I'm going to mean to do that, but I could do it. And so they're going around the room, and this is how I see it. Like, they're going around the room asking, is it I, is it I, is it I? And meanwhile, John is whispering to Jesus, hey, who is it? While they're all doing that. And then Jesus says this in verse 26. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he dipped the morsel, it's like he stuck his hand in, and he was, Jesus being the host, into the bread pile there. He pulled out this piece and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Judas took the morsel, we were told Satan entered into him. Satan got full possession of Judas's heart. And Jesus says, what you're going to do, do quickly. What you're going to do, do quickly. Now consider for a second, John is on the right, Jesus it's very likely, because of the way this is playing out, that Judas was right on Jesus' left. Right to his left. Now, culturally speaking, that seat in the left of the host is the seat of honor. And whenever someone took a piece, like kind of a particularly delicious piece of bread, I like the King James Version says a sop. I don't know why they say sop, but a sop. So you could say a seat of honor and a sop of honor. He took the morsel of honor and gave it to Judas, the honored guest. It seems a little strange. We're going to come back to that. Now, notice also, lastly here, as we've taken this scan through really quick, no one, says in verse 23, no one knew why Jesus said to Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. They had no idea that Judas was going to be the betrayer. So they didn't hear John and Jesus' little conversation where Jesus said, it's the one who I'm going to give this piece of bread to. They, they didn't hear that or they didn't understand what was going on there. So we're going to come back to that too. You see, prior to this event, we should know a couple things about Judas. Judas was already looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. It says it in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. And John has already pointed out earlier in verse 2 that Satan had already put it into his heart to betray Jesus. And now Satan takes full control of Judas's heart. So the question I want us to ask at this point is to stop for a second, when we, especially when we think about the other Gospels. Why does John spend so much time, so much time compared to the other accounts on this particular event? What is he trying to tell us? What is Jesus trying to tell us? 
The other day, uh, we were at a restaurant, uh, and they had this flip trivia thing on the table. You guys seen restaurants like that? It's like trivia about Wisconsin, trivia about the United States. And so we were pulling out Wisconsin. We're still trying to learn. We've only been here a little over a year, so we're trying to learn about the great state of Wisconsin. And honestly, I can't. I remember the state fish, uh, something like mus- muskie. Yeah, I can't, it has a full name that I can't pronounce. Muskalunge. Thank you. The muskalunge. Now, as I'm reading the questions to my family sitting around the table waiting for our food to come, I notice upside down on the bottom are the answers. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot not look at the answers when I see them at the bottom. Like, I'm like, you know, one one of the questions about the U.S. is what's the longest river in the U.S.? And I'm like, okay, looking at it. Anyone know what it is? It's the Missouri River. Anyway, one of the wonderful things about God's word about the Bible, is that we don't have to guess about the answers. God has put the answers in there. In fact, we already read the answer to the question I just asked. Why is Jesus telling everyone he's going to be betrayed? Why does John spend so much time talking about this? Well, let's go back to verse 19. This is the answer key that's upside down on the bottom of the page, except that it's not upside down. And he says, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Some versions say I am. He, in the Greek, it's just I am. Jesus is predicting his betrayal, including his suffering, including his death, before it takes place so that when it did take place, they would look back and say, hey, Jesus predicted this. So what's, what's going on? What's Jesus trying to tell them? So let's, let's for a moment... If you can, try to put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of the disciples. They spent three years with Jesus, listening to his teaching, life-giving teaching, watching him do the unthinkable, the unimaginable, heal the lame, give sight to the blind, raise the dead. In fact, they themselves were able to do some of these things. They had every reason to believe that Jesus was really the promised Messiah But probably like many others, they believed that he was going to be the conquering, kick out the Romans and take over the throne in Jerusalem kind of Messiah. None of them expected that Jesus would suffer and die. None of them expected that they would be in hiding after his death. None of them expected that one of their own would betray him. None of them expected that they could deny him. And yet what happened? All of these things. Now think for a moment in those those minutes, those, those hours when, when they hear that he's condemned to be crucified. Think about the devastation, the horror they must have felt. Think about the helplessness, the, the hopelessness. The same man who raised Lazarus from the dead is dying on a cross now? This doesn't make any sense. I imagine they were like that wave at sea being tossed and blown by the wind. And we think back then. Jesus says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Think think about what we see. Not only did Jesus accurately predict his betrayal, suffering, and death, he didn't try to stop it. He didn't try to stop it. He was not a helpless victim of circumstances. 
He was in control the whole time. In fact, it's great. In Matthew 26, I love it when they come to arrest Jesus and they've got swords and clubs. You know, it's like, like you can think like, like when the, the mob comes to arrest Shrek. I don't know if you remember that scene. They're coming and Jesus is looking at them, almost like this look on his face. And he goes, do you not think, Matthew 26, 53, that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? John 10, Jesus said this, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus ordained this. He allows this. It's interesting in Galatians 2, Paul is talking about our relationship with Christ and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what that Greek word is right there, gave himself for me? Same word as betrayed in our text this morning. Jesus gave himself. This was not an accident. This was not some hapless thing that happened, uh, uh, you know, according to circumstances. Jesus wanted this. This is part of his plan. They fulfill Psalm 41. Not only that, go back to the very beginning, Genesis 3.15. They fulfill what God says to the serpent right after sin enters into the world. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you, that is between Satan and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, speaking of the woman's offspring, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. This is the heel bruising. We're about to watch it happen. You see, friends, God has been planning and orchestrating these events since before the beginning of time. Jesus was in control. It's when, when you sometimes maybe hear us use the word that God is sovereign. That, that's what we, this is what we mean. God is in control. He is sovereign over these things. Now, notice secondly, the way in which Jesus handles this situation. Just notice the way he, he handles this. You're going to see some things begin to emerge about his character, about this man, this Savior. Verse 19, he wants them to, to help them believe. I'm telling you this so that you'll believe. He, this, is, this is him saying, I want to help you believe when you're going through a terrible time. And then he says in verse 20, I'm offering you freely salvation. Receive me. You don't have to work for it. Verse 21, we see this, 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 him saying he's troubled. Actually, John's saying he's troubled. Though he's in control, he is not unmoved by the circumstances. He is not unaffected by them. It speaks to his humanity. What it tells us is that Jesus can relate to us, friends, in every single way he can relate to us. Hebrews 4 talks about that too. You notice the contrast in verse 22. The disciples are uncertain, perplexed, and yet Jesus is sure. He's steady. He's confident. We see in verses 23 and 24 and, and 25, 26, and as, even as you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that there's this patience Jesus has with the disciples as they're going around. Is it I? Is it I? What? And then they, in Luke, they even get into a big argument. Who's going to be the greatest? Right here. Notice Jesus' patience with them. Notice Jesus' patience in particular to Judas. We were, we were talking about this at our community group this past week. 
And um, we were talking about comparing how we might have responded if we were the ones sitting next to Judas, you know. And I loved it. One person said, I think I would have thrown the morsel in his eye. <laughs> Another person, this is great. Like, this, is, this is the sin in my own heart, of course. says, I think I would have washed the feet and then grabbed that morsel right after doing that and giving it to him. You know, those dirty, stinky hands. How does Jesus treat Judas? Washed his feet. Probably wiped his hands off. And then he gives him this piece of honor. Seat of honor. He's giving Judas an opportunity to repent. He's saying, I I love you, Judas. You have an opportunity. And yet, because God's plan is perfect and because God has been ordaining these, Judas gives in, Judas does what Satan had put into his heart to do. You notice also that that. The fact that none of the disciples knew who was going to betray Jesus, not just here, but think about this. Jesus knew this from the beginning. For three years, Jesus had been protecting the identity of his betrayer. Think about that. He didn't tip that he knew that he was going to be betrayed. by They they had no idea. He was treated just like all the other disciples. That speaks to Jesus' character quite a bit. Friends, are you seeing the goodness of Jesus? Are you seeing his grace, his kindness, his mercy, his patience, and his love? Are you seeing the sovereignty of Jesus as he executed the plan of redemption? You see, here's why Jesus predicted his betrayal. He predicted his betrayal to help us trust his sovereign goodness. He predicted his betrayal, which includes suffering and death, to help us trust, to help us trust his sovereign goodness. You see, when we, when we face difficulty, we face betrayals, when we face crisis, just, just like the disciples, we have a choice to make. Are we going to trust in Jesus' sovereign goodness or are we going to place our trust in something else, in someone else? Notice what we see about Judas. Where does he place his trust Let's think about him for a minute. Jesus, Judas was a model disciple, okay? Don't miss this. J- Judas was outwardly just like all the other disciples. He was called a disciple. He was there at the same teachings and miracles as the other disciples. He was even sent out in Matthew 12 when Jesus sends out the 12. And Jesus says, go proclaim, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Judas was in there. He was doing this. He was outwardly doing all that a disciple outwardly does. And yet, his heart was far, far, far from Jesus. Friends, let us find warning in this. You can do all the right things outwardly and still be on the road to hell if your heart is far from Jesus. Notice that... Satan enters into his heart that, that he trusts, rather than trusting Jesus, he, he began trusting in the things of this world and specifically power and wealth. Matthew 26, it says that, that Judas goes to the chief priests. This is before this 
scene. And, and he says to them, hey, what will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you, if I betray him to you? That's, that's the same word there. And so they paid him 30 pieces of silver. You remember, they, they were looking, they were plotting for a way to kill Jesus for a while. And so they give him 30 pieces of silver. And after that moment, it says, Matthew 26, 16, Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus, to deliver him over to be killed. Ultimately, he's opposing Christ. He's opposing Christ's work. And anytime, anytime we go against Jesus, we're doing the devil's work, which includes when we sin. Just, just heard a quote. When we sin, we continue the devil's work in the world. Kevin DeYoung said that. And you'll notice the result of Judas's choice. In verse 30, what happens? He immediately goes out, and it was night. And it was night. See, friends, it is always night outside of Christ. It is always darkness, never light. It's always striving, never rest. It's always unrest, uncertainty, never peace, never assurance. And in the darkness, we are lost. In the night, we are lost. What are you trusting in other than Jesus in your life right now? What are you trusting in for hope, for security? When the wind threatens to blow you over, when the waves threaten to crash on you, and the the fires of life overwhelm you, where are you looking? Are you looking to your bank accounts? Are you looking to your relationships? Are you looking to the things you have? Are you looking to accomplishments? See, however great it might seem at the time, trusting in anything other than Christ only leads to regret and sorrow. We even see this in Judas. Matthew 27, 3, it says that after he saw that Jesus was condemned, He changed his mind. And he's so overwhelmed by this that he takes his own life. Friends, outside of Christ, it's always night. Consider for a second our Savior who is worth trusting. Consider his example, as we've already talked about. You notice how Jesus himself rested in God's sovereign goodness. He was troubled, yes, but he did not despair. He was humbled as a servant, but yet he wasn't defeated. He was even killed, but still not destroyed. That's his example. But even more than that, let's look to his purpose. Why did Jesus undergo this? Why did Jesus deliberately ordain and allow that he would be betrayed and suffer and die? John 3, 17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but, but, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus went through this so that we might call upon him as Savior and be saved. That the sin that separates us from God would be 
put onto his shoulders and his goodness, his perfection, his righteousness might be put onto us and we can be declared right. See, only Jesus is a savior worth trusting. Only Jesus is a sure and steady foundation. So I'm on this boat and um, I'm sick. And the captain says this, these, these four words to me. He says, look to the horizon. Find the shore. Look to the shore. Why? Because it's steady. I'm going up and down, but it stays. I'm going all over, but it's steady. Now, of course, we're going like this. So I'm constantly like, where's the shore? On April 30th, 2015, uh, my wife and I, our son, went unconscious in our home. And uh, I got him wrapped up, did some CPR, uh, was unsuccessful, and, and just immediately started racing to the ER. We were in a really small town. I was closer to the hospital than the ambulance place. And my wife, Tara, as I'm walking out the door, holding our son, doing CPR as I'm walking probably running. I had no shoes on. It was very quick. She says something to me, something I'll never forget. She says this, whatever happens tonight, it's good. Now, she didn't know in a couple hours our son would no longer be in our arms, but would be in the arms of Jesus. But how was she able to say this in that moment? I wasn't saying that. I was, I was, I was a mess. How did she demonstrate this faith, this trust? Because at the end of the day, she trusted God's sovereign goodness. Yeah, you can talk to her about it. She's wrestled. But she trusted, in that moment, she trusted God's plan for our son, Clay. She trusted God's plan for us. And this is the reality, friends. When you rest in God's sovereign goodness, you can face anything. I think this is what Paul means in Philippians 4. You know, the verse that the athletes love to quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know, which means I guess you can throw 100 touchdowns and so forth. That's not what Paul means. What he means is that in any and every situation in Christ, you can face it. He actually says in verse 11 in Philippians 4, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. When you rest in God's sovereign goodness, you can face anything. Because the sovereign goodness of God is a gift to us that Christ has bought for us. I love Psalm 46. I love it. In closing, I'm going to read this psalm. If you want to turn there, you can. I think it speaks this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the 
its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friends, won't you trust in his sovereign goodness today and find rest, rest for your weary soul? Let's pray. Father, teach us how to be still. Teach us how to rest in the fact that you're in control. Teach us how to look to Christ and and not just see another childhood story, but to see a man who went to great lengths and was troubled in his spirit to redeem and rescue us, to help us believe. So help us, Lord, to do that so that we might have life in your name. And we pray it in the name of Jesus and for the glory of his kingdom. Amen.